Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful time of the year, Christmas time, and time to celebrate the birth of our Lord and all the goodness of the Lord. Today, the title is The Gift of God. The Gift of God. I'm going to begin with Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. Jesus Christ given into the earth for all nations, all people. The Bible says he was wrapped in swaddling claws. He was gift wrapped. There was no finer wrapping on any gift ever given in this world than those claws around Jesus Christ. He is the great gift of God to the earth. The gift of God is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 5, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, his unspeakable gift, other translation says. Unspeakable, there aren't enough words to describe Jesus Christ, who he is, what he is, how he is. You can talk about him, you can learn about him, you can love him all the days of your life and you will never exhaust who he is. He's so wonderful. He's so full of wonder, beauty, and power, and grace. Thank God today for his indescribable, for his unspeakable gift. And we marvel at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for our whole lifetime, and we'll marvel at him throughout all the ages of eternity. I want to remind you of a quick story that I've shared before. An old missionary went to visit one of the ancient Pictish kings and came to present the gospel to this king. And the king listened to him and the king said, what can I expect if I become a Christian? The old missionary said, oh, you will find wonder after wonder and every one of them is true. You will find wonder after wonder and every one of them is true. John chapter 4, Jesus came to the well at Samaria, and the empty-hearted Samaritan woman came for water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And she said, the Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus said to her, 
John 4.10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. You would have asked me. And he would have given you living water. He said, I, gave, I asked you for a drink. But if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would have asked me to give you a drink for living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. This water of the natural world. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, an artesian well, a spring of water, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Sir, give me this water. How many here today are crying out in your hearts, Sir, give me this kind of water? This woman at the well, searching, empty-hearted, a broken life, difficult circumstances, many broken relationships, and all that comes with that. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that's speaking with you, you would have asked me. But he said, it's not too late. You can open up your heart. Jesus said, if you take of the water that I give, you will never thirst again. But that water, that well I put in you will be a fountain springing up into everlasting life. Now Jesus wasn't saying, he wasn't referring to the hunger and thirst that is normal in our Christian life, for they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. We must have an ongoing hunger. We must present ourselves before the Lord with an ongoing thirst for his presence, his word, his life, his glory in us. But Jesus was referring to that finality of salvation that is found in him and him alone. He said, if you drink of this water that I give, you will never thirst again. Those who drink of Jesus truly and those who drink of Jesus fully have found that that is absolutely true. That we never have to look for another well. We never have to look for another fountain, another religion, another philosophy, another way of life because in Jesus Christ we find ultimate fulfillment and we know that we have the words of eternal truth. How wonderful with the Lord. We have tasted the presence of God. We have tasted the gift of God, Jesus Christ himself. And because of it, our hunger and our thirst has been satisfied so fully. The Lord has created in us a taste for who he is and for his presence, and nothing else will ever satisfy. When people have been touched, when children, when young people, when adults have been truly touched by the power of the presence of Jesus Christ and have truly drunk of the living waters of God, you don't have to worry about them in the future. They're going to walk with God because nothing else will ever satisfy them. Number one today, the greatest gift in the world is Jesus, Savior and Lord. 
The greatest gift in the world is Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is gifted, given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's wonderful. He's full of wonder. He's filled with wonder that we can never exhaust. This is our Lord. Jesus said in John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gifted. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish in eternal damnation and darkness, but shall have everlasting life. Is there anyone here this morning that has not become a follower of Jesus Christ, open their heart to the Lord? Perhaps this morning as you're under the word and in the presence of the Lord, you would make that decision. And repent and seek the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't know who you are. I want to know more about you. I want to trust you. I'm making a decision to follow after you. I'm giving my life to you. Give me this living water, sir. Give me this water, sir. Give me this drink. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given in this world. But there are other gifts that come from God. Let's look at Psalm 68. Verses 17 to 19. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. The heavenly host, the angelic army. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai. My, the Lord came down on the mountain. As in the holy place, the Shekinah glory. The felt presence, the glory cloud, dwelt in the holy place. The Lord is among them. Thou hast ascended on high. He's talking about somebody that ascended on high, that led captivity captive, and we know this is fulfilled, as we'll read in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ. Jesus ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts for men. Jesus, you have received gifts for for men. Now some translations have different phrasing there, but that's why I like the King James on this one because it answers to the New Testament reference. Sometimes the KJV is better, and sometimes other translations are better. But it says, you have received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. Anyone here that's never been rebellious? You've received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. That the Lord God might dwell among us. His presence, his life in the very midst of our lives, our families, and the people of God. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, with gifts, even the God of our salvation. Selah, stop and think about that for a moment. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with gifts and benefits. So many wonderful gifts of God that come. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ ascended on high, led captivity captive, and received gifts for men. Who did he receive those gifts from? From his Father. 
And those gifts were for men. They were for the rebellious. The Bible's clear. When Jesus won victory on the cross of Calvary and defeated sin and Satan and world forever, he ascended on high, and his father said, in the strength of your victory on the battlefields of Golgotha, I'm giving you gifts. And those gifts are for men. They're for mankind. They're even for the rebellious, those that have been hard-hearted and resistant and obstinate to my ways. I want to pour out my blessing on all who surrender, no matter what form of wickedness, no matter what form of life they lived. And Jesus Christ has given gifts for man, hasn't he? He received them. He's given us the gift of salvation. The Bible says salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works, not of our own effort. We receive the gift of salvation the gift, gift of forgiveness and reconciliation. Repentance is a gift, the Bible says. Faith is a gift as we respond to the Lord. His faith is kindled in our hearts. Reconciliation, peace with God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the life and presence of the Lord, love, joy, peace. There are so many abundant gifts given to us from God. Daily, he loads us with benefits. You receive gifts for men. But it doesn't stop there because Jesus Christ has also anointed his people. He's put an anointing on our lives so that we in turn can be gifts to the people of God. And we can bless the people of God. Every person in the body of Christ, a gift to the body of Christ. We're surrounded with gifts of God. We're surrounded with the blessing of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 to 11, working off Psalm 68. The scripture says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have a measure of grace, a measure of favor. We have a portion of the entire gifting of Christ that's available. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, <clears throat> what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. I take that to mean his incarnation, his earthly life and ministry. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. These are some of the gifts of God given into the world. Now, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, in his ascension, after he won the victory on the cross of Calvary, ascended into the heavens, and he led captivity captive. He rode in the triumphant chariot of his ascension into heaven's glorious celestial city. The image is that of the Roman generals as they would win some great victory, gain some great victory in some part of the Roman Empire, that they would come at times to Rome and they would bring the captives that they had taken, a sampling of the nation that they had overcome, and they would ride into the streets of Rome in their chariots, these generals and captains and their army, and behind them would be these captives bound in chains in the midst of a cheering, applauding Rome, they would lead captivity captive. The Bible says when Jesus ascended on high, he rode in the chariot of his victory, and he led the powers of darkness, every demonic agent with Satan at the head of them, fully defeated, captive to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, 
ascended on high. <clears throat> and then it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity and gave gifts to men. In Psalm 68, it says he received gifts for men. He received them from his Father. Ephesians explains it, that now he gives gifts to men. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, the fivefold ministry or the ministry gifts, but it doesn't stop there. That's only five out of the full list. It goes on in Romans chapter 12 to describe the members of the body of Christ. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace, the favor that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, service of all descriptions and kinds, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, with liberality, financiers of the kingdom. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Here's a sampling of other gifts given out into the body of Christ. And then we have 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The gifts of God are given out into the body. Jesus received gifts for men. He gave gifts to men. And the list goes on. These are just a few example scriptures. We identify 26 categories of gifts and ministry in the body of Christ. 26 categories. So we've listed a few this morning. And under each of those categories, they unfold in many kinds of expression. Many kinds of demonstration. We are gifts to the body of Christ. Every one of us is a gift to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. What a beautiful verse. In the middle of the verse it says, For God has tempered the body together. God has composed. God has tempered. God has, it means mixed. God has mingled. God has harmonized the body together so that it functions and can take care of itself. These are gifts of God. Think of your natural body today. Every member of your body is a gift to the whole body. Your eyes are a gift to the whole body, so you can see where you're going, and you don't injure yourself, and you can have vision, and you can do things. Your eyes are an amazing gift of God to your body. Your hearing is a gift. Your speaking is a gift. Your doing, your hands of service, all the muscles and bones and the intricacy. 
of fine motor skills. Your walking is a gift of God. Your ability to be able to run is a gift of God. To be able to bend down and lift burdens. To stretch out your hands and reach for things and reach out to the living God. These are all gifts of God. Your heart and your lungs are a gift from God. Your muscles and your bones and your sinews, these are a gift of God. Every member of the body is a gift to the rest of the body, even though it might function in a particular place more solely. But every member of your body is a gift to the body. So it is with the body of Christ. God has mixed the body together. God has mingled the body together. Every one of us have an indispensable place in the body of Christ. No one can take your place. That's how unique our gifting and our calling is. Everyone with this beautiful gift of God. So point number two today, you are a gift to the body of Christ. You are a gift to the body of Christ. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, as each one, as each one has received a gift, everybody has at least one gift, minister it to one another as good stewards or managers of the manifold, the many-colored grace of God. As good managers, every one of us has to manage our gift, our calling, to make sure it's excellent, to make sure it's growing, that it's developing and influential in our lives. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles, the supernatural utterances of God. If anyone ministers in any way, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. This is beyond our natural gifting. Now, we have gifts. Some are natural, hereditary. Some are acquired. Some are supernaturally bestowed. But we have gifts. But it's not just operating in what's natural to us. The, God, the Lord wants to put a supernatural anointing and touch on our lives that accelerates the gift and the calling that is in us. He says, as the ability which God supplies, the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are a gift to the body of Christ. You are a gift of God to the body of Christ. And I pray this morning that each one of us understand our place and that we shine up our gift and shine up our calling, and with all diligence and excellence, present ourselves in the giftings God has given us to the body of Christ, so the body can be built up and blessed and edified, and the kingdom can advance, and above all, that Jesus will be glorified because of the grace and gifting and release of the ministry that he's called every one of us to. Hallelujah. Number three, you are a gift of God to your family. You are a gift of God to your family. God has mixed. God has tempered. God has mingled the family together in such a way that every member of the family is to bring a blessing and benefit to that family for the good of the whole family. God, God has mixed the body. God has mixed 
the family together in a proper way. Father and mother, children, brothers and sisters. We all have a place in our family, in our clan. Now in the next few days, we're going to be together with friends and family and clan and relatives. And God has given every person a place and a gifting and a calling. And we need to recognize our place and calling and we need to recognize those around us in our family. A few weeks ago, I ministered out of Genesis chapter 37 on the life of Joseph. I am Joseph. And the Holy Spirit quickened the beginning verses of that chapter to me. And I mentioned them in passing, but I want to touch on them this morning, maybe a little more fully. Genesis 37 deals with the life of the family of Jacob. And Joseph was a younger brother. There were 12 brothers. Joseph was the second youngest. Benjamin was younger than Joseph. Joseph, this younger brother, 10 older brothers, and Joseph had a unique calling on his life. He was chosen of God in a special way. He was gifted in a special way. But his brothers were envious of him, and they despised him in their heart. The Bible says they hated him for his dreams and the call of God. Now, every one of those brothers had a unique call of God in themselves, and they should have been concentrating on their call and their ministry and looking at Joseph and honoring the call of God in Joseph's life. You read Genesis 49. Those others, other brothers and Deuteronomy 33 had outstanding prophecies on their life of what they were to be, of what they were to carry. Praise and worship in the line of Judah. Issachar, service and burden-bearing. Zebulun, going to the seas and gathering treasure. And all the sons had powerful words of God and destiny on their life. But they looked over at Joseph, and all of a sudden they weren't pleased with their own calling, and they despised what was on Joseph. Joseph, by 17 years of age, a young teenager, had the word of God on his life because he was being fast-tracked for the kingdom of God. Sometimes people are fast-tracked for the kingdom, and other people can't handle it. They think everybody has to move at the same pace. Well, take your turn, take your turn. Sometimes God fast-tracks people for the kingdom and calling of God. And Joseph was one of those men. And his brothers should have been honoring him, wondering what the grace of God, what the goodness of God was on his life. The Bible says that they were envious of him. They were not only jealous, they were envious. What's the difference between jealousy and envy? Jealousy has displeasure in it. Feelings of displeasure at what somebody else has. Their gifting, their calling, their finances, their abilities, their talents. But envy has destruction in it. Jealousy has displeasure. Envy has destruction. You not only are displeased, you actually want to tear down what the other person has. You want to say things that demean the gold, the glory of God on their life. You want to say things that somehow undermine the great call of God and the great work of God that's on another person or on a family or maybe on a church. 
Jealousy and envy are cruel taskmasters. Joseph had a couple of dreams. The first dream, he said to his brothers, I, I had a dream. I mean, he was excited. He was sharing what God was doing in his life. He said, I had a dream, and, and we were binding sheaves in the field at harvest time, and we were all picking up the grain and to put it into a sheaf. And he said, my sheaf stood up, and all your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. He had another dream. He said, lo and behold, the, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Even Father Jacob had trouble with that one. He said, son, shall I and your mother and your 11 brothers come and bow down to you? But it says, Jacob was wise enough and processed enough by the Spirit and seasoned enough in God. He wasn't a novice. He understood. The Bible says he kept those sayings in his heart. Though he had first blurted that out, shall we come and bow? Yet he kept those matters in his heart, and he began to pray over them and wonder what God was doing in the life of this son, this gift of God that God had given him. Are we going to come and bow to you? It's not easy for the natural man to bow. It's not easy for the natural man to bow. But blessed is the family where the members of that family learn to bow to one another. Amen. Blessed is the family where the members of that family learn to bow to one another. That family will rise in power and privilege instead of being pained with struggle and difficulty and stumble in weakness. This is an answer from God. Blessed is the family that bows to one another. That family will rise in the power and joy and ministry of God. I rejoice when I see families in the house of the Lord that are strong. Household salvation has taken hold of families and a clan and generations are built in with generations and walking in God. I call them the ministry guilds of the house of God because I know there is a prophetic destiny and calling on every family as well as on every individual. And we must learn to honor and to bow and receive the gifting of God. Joseph's brothers should have been doing what old man Jacob was doing, pondering things, praying over those dreams. Lord, what is going on in my child's life, my teenager's life? Show me, reveal to me, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to support. Those brothers should have been supporting Joseph. They should have been encouraging him. Joseph, what is God saying to you? What's going on in your spirit? What do you feel? What's being worked out? Praying, encouraging, lifting him up for the fulfillment of the word of the Lord, but they didn't. And what a breach in that family because of it. There's a statement that has lingered long in my heart. And it's an incredible wisdom from the Lord. It's one sentence out of the book Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. And I put this one sentence on the screen today. 
Whenever a few brothers in Christ come together, immediately a spiritual order falls into place. Let's leave that sentence up for a few minutes. You might want to take it down. You might want to take a picture of it. If you don't, in a few weeks' time or a few days' time, you'll be thinking, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Whenever a few brothers in Christ come together, immediately a spiritual order falls into place. This is an amazing word. This is amazing truth from God. In every situation, in every gathering, a spiritual order immediately falls into place by the Holy Spirit. And what a wonderful thing it is once our eyes are opened to behold how this order unfolds in every gathering, every family gathering, every conversation, every time people get together. The order of God, a spiritual order falling upon the place. Somebody in authority. And it's like the spiritual order moves throughout the room. It moves throughout the family. Let me give you an example. I have two brothers. An older brother and a younger. My older brother is a year older than myself. My younger brother, five years younger than myself. Sometimes we meet together. And a spiritual order falls in among us. And sometimes my older brother, because of his gifting and calling and placement in the family, has the authority. He has the authority. You can sense what he's saying. Sometimes my younger brother, because of his expertise and experience, has the order and the authority. And he speaks, and the order has changed. And sometimes I have the authority if the necessity is there and the situation requires. This order of God moves among us. It moves in the church of Jesus Christ. It moves in every gathering that we have in this sanctuary and in this building. The order of God is there. Spiritual order falls in the prayer service before the worship services. Everybody's there praying, flowing together. One person closes out in prayer. All of a sudden, the spiritual order is there. That person has the authority and the voice, and we stand and we applaud and we pray and we say amen to what that person is encouraging. See, just because you're in authority in one place doesn't mean you're in authority in all places. We have to be sensitive to this spiritual order because it brings harmony, it brings honor, it brings blessing. Then we move into the worship service. The authority rests on the worship leader and the worship department. And we recognize it and we flow with them and we sing the songs and we lift up our hearts and our hands before the Lord. And we're bowing before the Lord in worship. There's an order, the preaching of the word. Somebody comes with a gift of prophecy and speaks out to the congregation. All of a sudden, the light of God is on that person, and we're blessing and encouraging and listening to the word of the Lord. The Bible says that it's important that we honor authority and honor the order of the Lord because it brings the blessing of God. The apostle Paul said to the church at Colossae, he said, I joy in spirit 
beholding your order, beholding your order. You're unified. You're in the place you should be. You know how to flow together to the goodness of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he said the church and its gathering should be in spiritual order and under authority and flowing together properly because of the angels. He said because of the angels, because the ministering angels are in attendance this morning. We can't see them, but they're here because we are the heirs of salvation. And God has dispatched them with blessings and gifts and healings and life and encouragement and comfort to all of us. And as we flow in order, I'm under the order of the prayer service. I honor the prayer service. It's a work of God. I honor the worship. I come in, my, my heart needs to be on fire. I want to be open. I want to receive. I want everything God has. I want to bless brothers and sisters. I want this place to rise to the glory of God. And the Bible says when we come in with that kind of surrendered spirit and honor authority and fall into our place, the angels are free to move in this place and set down the gifts of God. What a blessing. What a blessing. When I'm with my own family, ever since I have that word in my heart from Watchman Nee, I think of this a thousand times in the last few years. When I'm with my own family, in fellowship, round the table, in the house, I'm aware of spiritual order. Sometimes I, I'm in authority. Sometimes I speak. I have two sons. I have two daughter and daughters-in-law, and I watch how the order changes sometimes, and they speak, and I'm receiving and listening. And sometimes my grandchildren take the authority. Can you bow to a child? Can you bow to your grandchild? Sometimes it's a competition. Sometimes who wants to pray for the meal? And I do, I do, okay. And they begin to pray. And all of a sudden, the spiritual order has changed. And they're in authority. And we're agreeing with what they're saying and bowing to them in the word of the Lord because the Bible says a little child shall lead them. The Bible says sometimes even a little child will lead us. And can we bow in the family to a child? A little child says, Mom and Dad, I want to be in church more. Mom and Dad, I want to be in the presence of God. Mom and Dad, I want to go to worship. Mom and Dad, I want to go and be with my friends at church. A little child shall lead them. And we must learn how to honor that authority, how to honor that desire in them, because this is the way the kingdom of God works. How beautiful, how beautiful when we understand and honor spiritual order as it flows in a room. When it flows in a room. What a blessing it brings when a family is surrendered to one another in a spirit of unity. How beautiful when the church of Jesus Christ is surrendered to one another in a spirit of unity. Worship team, come. Well, it's Christmas time and gifts are being given. But let's not forget about these gifts today that I've mentioned. Number one, the greatest gift in the world is Jesus, Savior and Lord. 
if you knew the gift of God and who is speaking to you this morning, Jesus our Lord, you would ask, give me drink of your living water. Let it spring up out of my empty, barren heart into life everlasting. Number two, you are a gift to the body of Christ, a gift of God to the body of Christ. Be pleased with who you are, with the call of God, with the gift of God, and use it for the glory of God. And number three, you are a gift of God to your family. Let's stand together this morning and close with Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garments. The precious oil, the life of the Holy Spirit where there's unity, running down over the whole family, over the whole body. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion to bring life and fruitfulness, refreshing and growth. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Hallelujah. I invite you to lift your hands this morning and thank God for the gifts of God that he's given to you. Gift of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the gift that you are. Say, Lord, help me to excel in my calling like the word says. Let us use our gifts. Let's come into the house of God every Sunday, every time we gather. Lord, I'm here to bring benefit to the whole body. This Christmas, let's ask God right now to make us a blessing to our families. Make us a blessing to our families. That as we go this Christmas, we'll see how the order of God moves in the room in every situation and honor it and respect it and live lives that are surrendered in such a way that the glory goes to God and blessing to our families. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's worship together.